Well, two young boys were best mates at school. Um, one young fellow was a young Baptist guy. The other guy uh, was part of the Greek Orthodox Church. And they discovered one day that both of them were actually regular church goers. And so they thought it might be a good idea to strengthen and unify their, their relationship a bit further if they visited one another's churches. And so the, the arrangement was made, and, and the little Baptist guy went along to the Greek Orthodox Church, and as he went in, he was fascinated by all the icons, and this icon and that icon, and he said, what's that? And, and the little Greek Orthodox guy would explain it to him, and this, that, and then the priest would do something, what, what's that? And he would explain it. And that all went well. It was fascinating for the little Baptist guy. Because I was pretty laid back, as you know, uh, in, our, in our services. Anyway, next week they, they, they changed. And the little Greek Orthodox guy went along to the Baptist church and found it very casual, relaxed, informal, and uh, asked about this and that when there were announcements and the kid's story, etc. Eventually the pastor got up to preach and and he took his watch off and, uh, and he put it down like that. And the little Greek Orthodox guy said to the Baptist guy, so what does that mean? The guy said, absolutely nothing. I trust that's not the case this morning uh, as we get together here. But, but it's really good to you. And, and so good to hear your theme of, of, of all about God's Word. And I chatted to John uh, earlier in the week or last week and said, we've been going through uh, the, the value of Scripture, the value of God's Word, the importance of it. And so I want to just touch on that. It's probably not going to be new, uh, news to you today, what I have to share. Uh, but uh, that uh, portion that we've read this morning, I just want to see if that's on. Looks like, yep. I want us to focus in on the first part of verse 11. 119 verse 11a, I have hidden your word in my heart. The message puts it like this, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart. Father, we come before you this morning, recognizing, Lord, that we're in your presence. We gathered as your people, and as, uh, Father, maybe there's some here this morning who are, are still looking and seeking after you and trying to make sense of, of your claims, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we, we invite you to take your rightful place. This isn't about us. This is about you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and, and speak this morning through your word. Touch our lives at the point of people's needs this morning, Lord God. Would you convince us? Would you convict us? Father, would you commission us and encourage us afresh this morning as we consider these words from Psalm 119 and verse 11. Father, thank you for the time already that we've enjoyed in, in, in praise and worship, and Father, just coming into your presence, and the children's story, Lord, and memorizing scripture. We give you praise and glory. Uh, would you come and, and meet with us that as we leave this place today, we might know afresh that we've met with the one and only true and living God, and all God's people said, amen. You're part of a biggest, bigger Baptist family, about in excess of 220 churches, and uh, it's spread right across the state, as, as, as you would uh, expect. Uh, we're going through a bit of a leadership and restructuring phase at the moment, and so things uh, should be uh, progressing and implemented more by the middle of this year, around about July or so uh, is kind of the timeline for that. So 
the structure of Queensland Baptist is going to look pretty different from what it is at the moment. And we look forward to God doing something new, a new refreshing uh, within uh, Queensland Baptist uh, in this new season. So thank you for the part that you play, the part that you are uh, in, in that um, uh, a whole equation as one of our precious churches. My role as one of the regional consultants is a supportive role. I'm probably a, more a field worker as I support pastors and churches, church leaders. I was in Mount Isa last weekend, uh, at, uh, and it was, what, 40, 41 degrees uh, on my way to the airport on Sunday. Very dry. And uh, be in prayer for our churches out west, Longreach. Jeff, you would have seen some of them. Uh, the drought is, is, is significant and taking a huge toll. But you're part of a broader family and, and um, a, a, a denomination that's still growing. One of the few that the NCLS statistics of 2016 show still to be growing, about 3.5% a year. Many of the mainline denominations are no longer growing, and it's a, it is a concern. The challenge for us, though, the major area of growth for us as a, as a movement is in the areas of our ethnic churches, the migrants that have been coming over. They are, are planting and they are multiplying on an unprecedented basis. And so Hosanna, Logan, and, and some of those churches down there are, are just planting churches all over the place. And uh, so it's exciting to be part of what God is doing uh, in, in Australia and in Queensland at this time. Let's come back this morning to what we're chatting about. And I want to speak this morning on loving God's Word. Love God's Word. The Bible, as you know, is a book like no other book. There's no counterpart to compare with it. There's no other book, secular or religious, that has ever been able to claim what the Bible claims or to survive those claims beyond repute. No other book has the power to transform lives like the Word of God uh, does. Uh, no other book is able to comfort people through various times as the Bible is able to. And I invite you this morning to come on a journey with me, uh, one that is more than just a fascinating read, because the Bible reaches beyond Earth's prehistory, beyond the mists of legend, beyond myth, beyond folklore, and it comes and reveals one of the greatest dra dramas that has played out, past, present, and even into the future. Uh, one that could, ever, that, that could ever be recorded with such meticulous detail and accuracy. Come and fall in love again with God's Word this morning. You'll encounter it exposing and revealing some of the greatest evil that abounds. Betrayals, revenge, deceptions, and ultimately even the Prince of Darkness is revealed and exposed through the Bible. More importantly, you'll also discover the greatest good, the highest achievements, the greatest acts of courage and sacrifice you'll encounter above all. The Prince of Peace. You want to know peace, friends? You need to get to know the Prince of Peace if you want to have peace. Come along and discover the story that reflects the greatest courtship ever. A, a loving God wooing, uh, wooing and inviting His beloved children behind every twist and turn of the journey. Between the pages, you'll discover unexpected 
hidden surprises, the rise and fall of some of the greatest empires and rulers this world has ever known, some of the most fascinating and maybe even bizarre dreams and visions. You'll even discover romance as you go through Scripture. In fact, sometimes in such suggestive, erotic, poetic detail that history records that young people were not allowed to read Song of Solomon until they were 25 years old. I guess somebody will be turning up Song of Solomon tonight and, and doing a read there. It's fascinating, God's Word is. You'll discover some of the greatest mysteries that man has had to face, the greatest comfort that anyone could ever find, the greatest wisdom that is available to you and I as people on this earth, relevant throughout the centuries, relevant throughout the generations. That's the Word of God. It does not lose. It's relevant. It's as relevant today as it was when it was first written down. The ultimate truth. The everlasting hope, comfort and strength when we find ourselves catapulted into those times that we all face at some time. Times of trial, times of challenge, times of loss, times of despair, expressions of praise for those times of joy, words and phrases that defy human explanation or the ability to have adequately expressed it otherwise. That's God's word. Words and phrases to contemplate when you're quiet and alone. And you just want to sit and saturate in the presence of your God. And as you get to love God's Word, you'll discover that this book is alive. This is just not some book that you can pick up in the store. This book is the living Word of God. It's alive. It continues to be relevant. It continues to survive. It continues to outlive. It still confounds its harshest critics. And for some of these critics, the more they endeavor to discredit the Bible, the more some of them come to recognize how profound and accurate and true it proves itself to be. As history unfolds before our very eyes, you'll discover many of these events already recorded Long before our time. How can this be? How can this be? 66 books written by at least 40 different authors over a period of no less than 1,500 years. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different countries, different times in history. Some of the writers had already passed away by the time other writers were busy writing. And yet, friends, there is a common scarlet cord from Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. How can this be? That scarlet cord is a message of God's love for you and I. A message of Him reaching out to us through the ages. God's Word initiated by someone beyond the abilities of mankind. A message and a belief system from outside of our time and uh, space and dimensions, recording events both terrestrial as well as extraterrestrial, prophetic utterances and, and claims made thousands, hundreds and thousands of years before they were actually fulfilled to the last minute 
detail. That's God's word. Love it. How can it be? It's still the world's number one bestseller. Billy Sunday put it like this. He said, I entered the portico of Genesis, walked down through the galleries of the Old Testament where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hung on the wall. I passed into the music room of the Psalms where the Spirit swept the keyboard of nature until it seemed that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responded to the tuneful harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher was heard and into the conservatory of Sharon where the lily of the valley, sweet-scented spices, filled and perfumed my life. I entered the, busy, the business office of Proverbs and then into the observatory room of the prophets where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointed to far-off events but all concentrated upon the bright and morning star. I entered into the audience room of the King of Kings and caught a vision of his glory from the standpoint of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, passed into the Acts of the Apostles where the Holy Spirit was doing his work in the formation of the infant church, then into the correspondence room where sat Paul, Peter, James, and John penning their epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where towered the glittering peaks and got a vision of the king sitting upon the throne in all his glory, and I cried, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. What other response would be apt except a response of worship? This is God's word. This is the Holy Bible. Love it. Learn it. Live it. The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart. The message, I've banked your promises in the vault of my heart so that I won't sin myself bankrupt. Have you hidden his word in your heart? I pray that today might encourage you, might inspire each one of us here, young and old, to hide the word of God in our hearts. Notice from this verse, first of all, the person of the Bible. Oops. The person of the Bible. While Thomas gets that, there we go. Excellent. Psalm 190, verse 11. The person, it says, your word. Your word, O oh God. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The more we love God, the more we'll love God's word, the Bible. The more we love the Bible, well, the more we will love God. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And you've probably covered some of this in your series thus far uh, around the, 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 the importance of Scripture. But by inspired, we mean that the supernatural influence of God's Holy Spirit came upon those early writers of Scripture in such a way that it rendered their writings as an accurate record of the revelation that the Holy Spirit had given them with regard to recording Scripture. Whatever genre they wrote, whatever type of literature they were writing, it was almost actually being the very Word of God. It wasn't quite dictation per se. But my personal opinion is that it's probably as close to that uh, kind of idea as one could get. When it comes to Scripture, revelation and inspiration go hand in hand. 
Not all the time, but often. Like the two oars of a rowing boat. Revelation is the vertical action of God to man. Inspiration is horizontal, man to man. And I'm not speaking gender there. I'm talking mankind to, to mankind. Inspiration is the preservation and communication of revelation. There's a fancy theological term for those who are interested in, in that type of thing. It's termed verbal plenary inspiration. It, it simply means that the Bible has been written in such a way with such an influence and imparting by God's Holy Spirit into the lives of those authors who wrote the different books that it, it was as if it was God's very word to us. It is. As if he, he was speaking to you and I face to face as we would speak to, to one another. Verbal means that every word of Scripture, friends, is God-given. The idea that every single word in the Bible is there because God wanted it there. Every T that is crossed, every I that is dotted to convey the meaning that He wanted to be communicated. Plenary means that all parts of the Bible are equally authoritative. This includes such things as genealogy. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that even genealogies are inspired and authoritative. No. It's given by God for a reason. It's no mistake that all those genealogies are there. All parts of Scripture are of divine origin. The idea behind the word inspiration, as I've already explained earlier, is that God supernaturally guided the biblical authors to write the exact words in the form of uh, the exact things in the form of words to express the exact meaning that He wanted to express to us. The result is Holy Scripture. Scripture is not man's word. It has divine origin from the heart of God Himself. It's like your, your vehicle that, that you use, that you own or, or hire or whatever. It's got an owner's manual. If there's a problem with it, go to the owner's manual. When we've got problems, we need to go back to the owner's manual. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, and that's why we can test anything, anything that the Holy Spirit says by Scripture, because He will never, He cannot, it's His attribute, He cannot contradict Himself. So whatever we want to test, we test with Scripture. The person of the Bible is God. It's from Him. It's about Him. It reveals His love and purposes for each of us. I want to encourage you this morning, won't you fall in love again with God's Word? It reveals His love and His purposes for each of us. It's all about our King. And it's all about His love for us. I want us to watch a, a quick YouTube clip on who our King is. Something about our King by Dr. Lockridge. Thanks, Thomas. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king 
of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. Is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him. For yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. person of the Bible. Is he your king? Not only do we know here from this portion the person of the Bible, what, what is the power of the Bible? The power of the Bible. To our next slide. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word, your word, when anybody writes or speaks words, Words are very personal. They're a very personal form of communication from the one who's expressing them to the one who is receiving them. Words are, are, are powerful. Words 
are meaningful. They involve effort and thought on the part of the person sharing those words. Words originate from deep within oneself. They, they involve articulating sounds and thoughts, emotions, motives. In fact, Scripture reminds us that what comes out of our mouths, friends, is an overflow from what? The heart. The heart. That thought alone ought to challenge each of us afresh again this morning. When last did we sit and assess what is it that emerges from our mouths? Because it's a sign of what the overflow of the heart is. Are our words thoughtful? Or are they toxic? Do our words contribute? Or do they contaminate? Are our words pure? Or are they poison? Do our words provide direction? Or do they cut in destruction? Are our words affirming or, or assaulting? What comes from our mouths, friends, is an overflow from the heart. The Bible is God's word. Powerful because it's been authenticated and authorized by God himself, both in the Old Testament. They say, thus says the Lord, and through the prophets, as well as the New Testament, Jesus himself quoted and authenticated the Old Testament. He said, it is written. How many times did he say that? God says what he means, and he means what he says. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When God speaks, he speaks primarily through the Bible. The Bible is the benchmark against which all revelation needs to be measured without exception. Now, God does give prophetic utterances and, and visions. I'm not a cessationist, and, and I recognize those gifts prevail. I don't personally believe they've ceased for our time. But all of those aspects need to be tested against the authority of Scripture. If it's not confirmed or authenticated by Scripture, it's not of God. It's as simple as that. Some people, groups around the world, still refer to the Bible as the dangerous book because they've come to realize that it has the power to transform the lives of the people who read it. As they sit to the listening or sit listening or, or to the preaching or teaching of it, it has a power and authority, friends, that no other book in this world has or ever has had. Hebrews 4 verse 12 reminds us that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the power of God's Word. As we look at our text this morning, notice that the Word is powerful because it has a cleansing effect, a cleansing effect. Verse 9 says, How can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your Word. In the message it says that. Take a moment and reflect upon all that you may have been exposed to over the years, all the things that maybe you've witnessed over the years, maybe all the things that you may have even participated in yourself over all these years, times of hatred, those fights, some, maybe some cursing, swearing, the language contaminated with filthy expletives, the jokes one has laughed at or even taken part at in sharing that have been inappropriate, but one took part of it to be part of the crowd. What about some of those stories that one struggles to get out of our minds because it's been imprinted and embedded 
on our memories. Think of the obsessions one may struggle with. What about maybe some lying and cheating and the use and abuse of, of substances? What about the peer pressure to conform? What about the pettiness? What about the jealousy? How can a young person live a clean life? Well, the Word of God is able to protect. It's able to strengthen. It's able to guide us and strengthen us and to, to cleanse us as we spend time daily. That's where we come into the cathedral, if you want, of His presence. Regular, consistent, devotional time with Him at whatever time suits your own personal schedule. Whatever works for you. Some are more morning people, others are, 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 are uh, later uh, in the day type of people. It equips us with wholesome boundaries and tools for life. It encourages us with God's promises of forgiveness when we do fall short. It calls us back to His promises and the promise that He loves us and accepts us just the way we are. Not only a cleansing effect, but a controlling effect as well. It's in, in verse 10, uh, the psalmist says, I'm single-minded in my pursuit of you. Don't let me miss the road signs that you've posted. Here's one of the greatest secrets uh, to, to living the type of life that God has in mind for us. Wholeheartedness, a focused approach, single-mindedness in pursuit of wanting to honor God with our lives. It's in response to His love. We can never repay Him. But we can live for Him with our lives. No matter who we are, no matter what occupation we're involved in through this life, a wholehearted desire to honor Him and to serve Him in through all of that. Friends, a half-hearted approach has never been a winning recipe for achieving anything. We're half-hearted in our studies and in our work. We'll never reach the full potential that God has desired for us and designed for us. Mediocrity becomes the norm and complacency is the outcome of that norm. Many perceive God's Word to be restrictive, alleging the limitation of one's freedom. Many see the Bible as a book of rules, a, a book of do's and don'ts. I would declare to you today that the Bible creates and enhances our personal freedom because it gives us clear boundaries. Those boundaries are the, like the crash barriers. There's a bit of freedom within those boundaries, but those boundaries are clear. Go over the crash barriers. What do we get? We discover wrecked lives, traumatized lives, uh, because of people having gone over the boundaries that God has put in place. It also has a correcting effect. Verses 11 and 12 uh, tell us that there. In the Old Testament, we read that after God gave the law to Moses, he commanded that it be placed in the sacred ark of the covenant. That ark was made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold. And this, in turn, was covered with a lid of gold called the mercy seat. And that's the story of Scripture. It's, it's pointing us to His mercy seat. These have all got symbolic significance in and of themselves. However, I want to focus on the fact that God's presence with His people was displayed on that same mercy seat. His presence covered His Word. His presence and His Word abound in mercy. What does Timothy tell us? 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Will you renew your love for God's Word today? Allow yourself to be helped by God's truth 
when it corrects and convicts us. Notice thirdly, we're moving quickly through here, the persuasiveness of the Bible. The persuasiveness of the Bible. The person we've looked at, the power. What about the persuasiveness? The psalmist says, I have. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word has a persuasive effect on you and I as we come under its preaching and teaching. It persuades us to make up our minds one way or the other. It calls, friends, for a verdict in your life and in my life. It invites us, invites you and I to take hold of it. It challenges you and I whether we will really believe what it says or not. In fact, God's Word will not force us, but it will reveal to you and I that there's a choice that we have to make. Either it's God's Word or it isn't. We're living in a pluralistic society. We live in a, in a society that that would appear to have lost all objectivity. It's become so subjective, the society that we exist today. Want something objective? Come back to God's Word. Come back to God's Word. You won't be popular, but come back to God's Word. It's either God's Word or it isn't. How we respond to it will reflect to varying degrees to what extent we believe it to be God's Word or not. Psalmist said, I've hidden, I have hidden your Word in my heart. And that same challenge faces you and I today. Will you hide it in your heart? Will you continue hiding it in your word, in your heart as you do these memory verses? It is so important. Lastly, this morning, notice the preciousness of the Bible. It is personal and it is precious to us. The preciousness. I've hidden your word in my heart. The statement highlights the fact that God's word is precious. The statement speaks of intimacy, speaks of something of worth, a treasure that is not blatantly exposed to all and sundry. Invariably, we usually treasure in our hearts those things, excuse me, that are intimate, those things that are precious to each one of us. We treasure them in our hearts. Our loved ones, family, special relationships, special moments. It's a very personal act because it involves our hearts. Those memories, those thoughts, those feelings are very precious and dear to us. We, we hold them in our hearts. We're usually very cautious as to who and what we allow to share our hearts. It involves a deep trust, a deep respect. And when that trust is broken, it can cause so much hurt and distrust when somebody betrays the sacredness that we've allowed them into, into our hearts. I encourage you this morning to hide God's word in your heart. He'll never let you down. He's faithful. His word will bring uh, peace and joy to you. The more you store up God's word in your heart, the more you'll start to feel whole and content. How precious is God's word to you? I worked for a missionary organization in, in South Africa, multi-ministries, and uh, we worked around the southern African nations, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana, um, and South Africa, Lesotho, etc. Remember the one day 
I, I was just dumbfounded. We had a conference. There were some folk there from Mozambique who'd come. And they shared a story, a story that blew my mind. It's to do with Bible distribution. They didn't have great access at that point in time to the Scriptures. And so in a village, they may have had one or two Bibles amongst the village folk in the church there. What they said, what they would do is they would tear a page out. And if you were one of the church folk that were attending there, you would take a, ch- a page home to read it, but more than that, to memorize it. You'd come back next week and you'd exchange your page for another page. The power of God's Word, the preciousness of God's Word, friends. We have no idea the cost that some people pay in, in, in some of the countries today that are closed to the gospel, the underground churches, etc., the people who would be martyred for their faith. Do you know what they would give to have even a tattered Bible like this? It's precious. If your Bible's tattered, it's a good thing because a Bible that's falling apart is usually, usually belongs to a person who's not. God's Word is precious. God's Word is precious. As we close this morning, encourage you to love God's word. The story is told of a militant non-believer who summed up his worldview with a verse from Lucretius. It said this, if God had designed the world, surely it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see. So Jack turned his attention to academia, excelling in each field he studied, and soon the dons of Oxford took him in as a respected peer, and he began to write and teach. Yet far beneath the surface, his doubts were taking their toll. He described his mental state with words like misery and hopelessness. Remember, this this is a highly successful academic. He said, I maintained God did not exist. I was also angry with God for not existing. Then two friends, also Oxford Dons, J.R.R. Tolkien and H.V.D. Dyson, both devout followers of Christ, urged Jack to do something he had surprisingly never done. They urged him to read the Bible. And so he did. Jack began to wrestle with the claims made by Christ, concluding that Jesus was, was either deluded, deceptive, or the very one that he claimed to be the Son of God. On the evening of the 19th of September, 1931, Jack and his two friends took a long walk through the Oxford campus. They talked late into the night. And Jack, C.S. Jack Lewis, would later recall a rush of wind that caused the first leaf to fall, a sudden breeze which possibly came to symbolize for him the Holy Spirit. And soon after that night, C.S. Jack Lewis became a believer. The change revolutionized his world and consequently the worlds, the worlds of millions of believers. We all know, we've all heard of C.S. Lewis, one of the most amazing biblical and scriptural writers that we know, one of our, our Christian thinkers. Love God's word. Let us pray. In a moment I'll hand back over to Warwick, draw the service to a close. Father, we want to say thank you for giving us your word. Father, I 
I'm just so amazed that we happen to be born and raised in a day and age where we've got so many biblical aids, so to speak, Lord God. Uh, to, we've got the Bible in our own language, Lord God. Some have paid huge prices just so that we could have your word in our hearts. Father, all the, the study helps that we have, the devotionals that we are supplied with, that encourage us and inspire us to dig into your word. Oh, Lord God, may we make use of all of those. They are a gift from you. Oh, Lord God, would you come? And as we hide your word in our hearts, would you engrave it on our lives? Lord, that, um, Father, that it would reach a point where if people had to cut us, we would bleed bubbling. Oh, Lord God, how good would that be? We desire, Father, for you, you, Lord, as the living word to come and transform us. I ask, Lord, the anointing of your Holy Spirit to come upon these folk. Lord, as they spend time in their own devotional times in your word, that you would come and, and just make it come alive to them, make it understandable to them. Give, give them your revelation through your word, Lord God. Show them your way and your will for them, I pray. Thank you for Outlook Church, Lord, and, and uh, that you've planted them here. Thank you for the mission that you've given them. I, I pray your blessing upon them. As a, as a church family, Father, upon their pastors, upon, upon their leaders, Lord God, upon the families that make up this church, from the oldest to the youngest, Father. Thank you for them. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Peter, for uh, bringing us that encouragement this morning and just to center on the Word of God. And that's our um, word for this year is the Word. So let's really dig into it deep this year. Opportunities now given for a collection of uh, tithes and offerings. The buckets will be passing by. If you're new here or haven't come prepared, uh, not to worry. Just um, fill out that connect card if you wish to connect with the church and pop it in the offering bucket as it goes by. If the children could come forward, um, Phoebe's going to do some actions on the last song this morning. But before we um, commence, we'll just give thanks for the offering. Heavenly Lord and Father, we uh, thank you for Peter bringing your word and making it alive this morning, Father. We thank you for his encouragement for us here, Father. Just pray you would uh, guide Peter and as Barbara supports him too, Father. I seek your wisdom and guidance for them in their ministry, Father, as they seek to support the church, to support the body, Father. We thank you for their work and pray you would bless and guide them in Jesus' name. Father, pray for this offering that you would give wisdom and guidance to those who would manage it. Help each cent to be used for the glorification of your name, the extension of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>